Do you all miss me? That's why you clap. <laughs> well, I just came back from the States yesterday. Thank God I uh, escaped the freeze. Otherwise, uh, Pastor Leonard will be baptizing yesterday and preaching today. Um, Merry Christmas. It's great to be back home to worship together uh, with the church family. Um, all right. Uh, a few weeks ago, I was, I was, when I was in the States, I went back to Dallas Seminary, right, where, you know, uh, I got my equipping. I spent an, an hour in the afternoon there by myself just reflecting. 18 years ago, my wife and I went, we were newly married, and we carried four luggage that contained everything we owned. You know, and then uh, 10 years later when we left, of course, we had our twins. We had this container filled with stuff that we had to ship back to Singapore. And we really spent the first 10 years of our marriage and ministry in the U.S., And I couldn't help but feel overwhelmed going back to where it all began. More importantly, bringing my heart back to where it first began. Why we did what we have been doing the last 18 years? Because of Christ. Because of the gospel. And you know, when we celebrate Christmas, it is really about Christ and the gospel. So I want to encourage you also to take some time this week to reflect on 2022. And then next Saturday, Come join us, uh, for the English is here at 7. Come join us uh, to give thanks and recount God's blessings together. Well, let's uh, jump into this as we end our series called Emmanuel, the Coming of Grace. Christmas is indeed the coming of grace. Let's pray. Father, we commit this time to you even as we open your word. I pray that you speak to us, that we truly understand the reason for this season is Jesus Christ, the Son of God born unto us. We give thanks to you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, there's a medical doctor who shared this story about his 82-year-old patient called Doris. He said Doris was an incredibly healthy woman for her age. But two years, two days before she was discharged, she began to have inexplicable pains. She had pains to her wrists, to her chest, to her hips. But when her x-rays came back normal, I insisted that we would discharge her according to our plan. And she looked crescent fallen. Then she said, The truth is, I do not want to go home. I feel lonely. Doctor, do you know how many hours there are in a day? And after a long pause, she looked at me hopefully and she said, Doctor, do you have a prescription for my loneliness? The doctor reflected on this and then he wrote, I wish I could just give her some antidepressant and say that I've done my job. But the truth is, she isn't clinically depressed. It's just that she's facing a world that no longer revolves around her. And Doris represents thousands upon thousands of men and women of that age for whom the world has left behind a world that's addicted to youth. For them, time stands empty while they wait in homes filled with silence. See, the truth is we face a pandemic, but it's not just a pandemic of COVID-19, it's a pandemic of loneliness. There seems to be nothing we can do about this. All I could do was to retract my diagnosis and let her stay in the hospital through Christmas. But I prepared my heart for the influx 
of unwanted grandparents that I know will come during this season. Where have we gotten it so badly wrong? You know, this pandemic of loneliness, I think is real, especially after COVID-19, right? The people from the older generation tends to stay at home. And I do a monthly uh, Lord's Supper visitation for those who cannot come to church. And invariably, I find the older person at home alone or with their domestic help. And it's not just this generation, the older generation that face loneliness. Sometimes we too lead lives of quiet desperation. See, externally we may have the marks of success, a good degree, a good home, a good job. But then you're wondering, you know, I worked so hard to be here and now all day long I'm at home alone facing the children. I worked hard to be here. There must be something more. And we struggle with significance and meaning. But we wonder, who can I share with? Who would understand? We lead lives of quiet desperation. Externally, we seem to be in control of our lives. But internally, internally, our lives are spinning out of control. We're addicted to anger, to alcohol, to porn. We are running desperately for fear of being exposed. Perhaps we lead lives of quiet desperation. You are always smiling, always around people, always going to parties. But we feel lonely. Especially during the Christmas season, when everybody around us is celebrating. We feel lonely because, you know, as human beings, we want to be truly known and deeply loved. But we think, if someone really knows me, they will not love me. And so we pretend, we push people away. So what do we do with this loneliness, this brokenness, this sinfulness? What difference does Christmas make? You know, December 25th is a special day. But what about December 26th? What about January the 10th? What about the other 364 days in the year? Are they any different because of Christmas? That is what I would like us to think about today as we look at Luke chapter 1, 26-38. Luke 1, 26-38 is a familiar gospel story. In this text, we will see the two identities of Christ and the difference Christmas makes in our lives. Let's open the Bible to Luke chapter 1. Who is the Christ of Christmas? The first, that He is the seed of the woman. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And now coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favoured one, the Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement, kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favour with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. We are familiar with this story, the the angel appears to Mary. At this point, she is considered married to Joseph. It's the betrothal period. Joseph will come a year later to receive his bride. Now, why do they need this one-year waiting period? It's to test her purity, right? If she gets pregnant, it means that she has been messing around. So it's in this context that the angel told her, you're pregnant. Now, what is Mary supposed to do with this? Here, she, Scripture says she has found favour in God's sight. Now, we love the words God's favour, right? But unfortunately, sometimes we associate 
God's favour only with material blessings, only with having our lives go on according to our plans. But when we look at Mary's life, right, she has God's favour, but what did she experience? Would her husband want to continue to marry her? How was she going to explain to her parents, to her neighbours, for the rest of her life, she'll bear the shame of having a child out of wedlock. And eventually, she will see him die on the cross. A painful death. So friends, from an earthly point of view, you know, God's favour brought a lot of pain to Mary. But, from an eternal point of view, God, the Creator, ripped apart the fabric of time and space and entered into His creation through her womb. It's an amazing blessing. And so it's true that we are highly favoured by God, but let us not trivialize God's favour and blessing merely with material things, merely by having our lives go according to our plans. That is not what Christianity is about. That is not what Christmas is about. And that is certainly not what Christ is about. So, what is Christ about? Scripture continues to tell us, the angel said, He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom will have no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be since I'm a virgin? The angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you and for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. Scripture tells us that Mary is a virgin but she will give birth to a son. This was actually prophesied in Isaiah 7.14. It comes from a, in the text, the Hebrew word Alma means a young woman. But later the Hebrew Bible was translated to Greek and the word used was patinos. Okay, because the future generations of Jewish people didn't, couldn't really handle Hebrew, right? They all spoke Greek. Just like the younger generations of Chinese, maybe we cannot read Chinese anymore. So the, the Hebrew Bible is translated to Greek and when they use the word patinos for Alma, it refers specifically to a virgin. Now, is this doctrine of virgin birth important? Sometimes we say, let's not deal with theology, it's too cheap, you know. Not really needed. But really, you know, all of us, the choices we make in life, our decisions is out of our worldview. And our worldview is constructed by our theology or our theology. Whether you're aware or not, whether you believe in God or not, there's a system of thinking of how we relate to the world and ourselves that forms our worldview. You know, sometimes we look at the Catholics when they do this sign of a cross in front of them. Have you ever noticed what the fingers is like? Actually, many Catholics also don't know. But from a lot of the pictures of Jesus, right, from medieval times. Actually, for the early church, it is always in this, this is actually a, like a symbol. What does this three fingers touching represent? Three in Christianity means what? Trinity, right? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And these two fingers upward, we call it the hypostatic union of Christ. That Christ is fully God and fully man. And so, you know, even right from the beginning of the church, it tells us this Christ who is born is God and is man. And that is why the virgin birth is important. It is to tell us that God, uh, the birth of Christ is different 
All of us, we have an earthly father and mother, but Jesus only have an earthly mother and no earthly father. And so scripture tells us, since we have a great high priest, Jesus, the Son of God, let's hold fast to our confession. Let us not give up. Verse 15, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are and yet without sin. Because Christ is fully man. He says, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace and help in a time of need. Because He's fully man, He understands, sympathizes with us and we can draw near to Him. But He is also fully God. The Apostle Paul tells us, for in Him, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. How do we know God? Through Christ. Because Christ is God, He can take our place, suffer God's wrath, so that we may be reconciled to a perfect God. You see, when we say we believe in God, God is perfect. That's His nature. Okay, it's unreasonable to expect God to be not perfect. But what does it mean that God is perfect? It means that in His presence, there cannot be any imperfection. Imperfection will be destroyed just like in darkness when you shine a light there's no darkness, right? So in the presence of perfection, there's no imperfection, which means none of us can come before God unless we are perfect. And that is why we need a perfect substitution, one who is 100% man, 100% God, and that is Jesus Christ. And the virgin birth not only tells us that Christ is 100% man and God, He relates to us that this Christ, born of the virgin, is the seed of the woman that God has promised right from the beginning. When Adam and Eve fell into sin, God said to the serpent, I will put enmity between you, the serpent, and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. When did this happen? On the cross. When Jesus died, so the serpent bruised him on the heel, but Jesus resurrected and by his re- death and resurrection, he crushed the head of the serpent. He dealt the death blow to the serpent, Satan, so that we may be reconciled to God. We may be redeemed. So you know what the angel said to Mary, the son of the Most High, he will inherit the throne of David, is to relate to the scriptures, that all of scripture through the Old Testament that prophesied about this Saviour. Who is He? He is the seed of the woman. They will come and save us. And later when they had another, Adam and Eve had another offspring, Seth, He says, God has appointed me another seed. Throughout the Old Testament, they are always asking, who gave birth to who, who gave birth to who, right? There are a lot of genealogies. Have you ever wondered why? Because they are trying to find out who is this seed of the woman that will save us. Noah, when he was born, they gave him the, word, the, the name Noah, found favour in the eyes of God. The name Noah means that the one who will bring us rest. Now what rest were they looking for? They led a long life at that time, right? It is the rest of going back into the Garden of Eden, like Adam and Eve having an intimate relationship with God. They were finding rest. And then we learn later that this seed of the woman is actually the seed of Abraham, from the tribe of Judah. He will be a son of David. And so friends, when we, the angel Gabriel said all that stuff 
to marry. It's not just to, you know, uh, just the add words to this announcement. It is to say that this Christ, born of the virgin, is the seed of the woman, the one that God has prophesied from the beginning of time who will come to save us. If God could save us another way, He would have. If we could save ourselves, God would not need to sacrifice His Son. Hence, we are not plan B or plan C or an afterthought. This is plan A. God intends to redeem us through His Son, who is perfectly man, perfectly God. Desmond Tutu, the Archbishop of South Africa, he had a lot of contributions towards human rights. He made this statement some time ago. He says, do you think God would say to the Dalai Lama, you really are a great guy. Now what a shame you are not a Christian. He laughs. He says, I somehow don't think so. You see, I believe Desmond Tutu is a better human being than I, okay? And I mean no disrespect when I say this. But what he's saying is that all of us, we have this light inside us that we can be saved based on our morals, based on our good deeds. And hence, his statement is built upon deficient theology. His theology is that we can save ourselves. But when we turn to Scripture, Scripture says we cannot save ourselves. If we can, if we could, God would not need to send His Son. Right? So sometimes... Now, when I was a non-Christian, people would tell me, oh, I would think Christians go to heaven. I said, this is not fair. Right? Why, why only Christians go to heaven? And so people now, as a pastor, they will ask me, why only Christians go to heaven? And I can understand why they ask this question because I used to ask that. But I've also learned not to answer questions directly. Always ask another question. It's not that why Christians go to heaven. is why only perfect people go to heaven. Because you know the Bible doesn't say Christians go to heaven, you know? It says only perfect people go to heaven. Now, who is perfect? None of us. That is why we need the perfect sacrifice in Jesus Christ. Friends, the redemption plan of God on Christmas when we celebrate is to understand that this Christ is the seed of the woman. It's the one that God has sent to, re to reconcile us to Him. Not only that, He was given a name, Yeshua, Yahweh saves. The angel Gabriel said to Mary, you shall bear a son and you shall name him Jesus. Now what does the name Jesus mean to you? You know in Aramaic, when Jesus was young, running around at home, you know what, what Mary called him? Yeshua, which correctly translated is Joshua, not Jesus. How did we get the name Jesus? I think I shared with you before. Yeshua, when translated to Greek, because masculine names in Greek, they put an S behind, become Jesus. Translated to English is Jesus. But actually, he's correctly translated, his name should be Joshua. Joshua Christ, not Jesus Christ. And then you go, huh? You mean all my life, I've called the Savior the wrong name? Now, that's not important, okay? This is a translation issue. What's important is why did God choose this name, Yeshua? Of all the Old Testament patriarchs He could have chosen from, He could have named the Messiah Abraham, the friend, the father of faith. He could have named the Messiah Moses, Moshe, the servant of God. He could have named the Messiah David, the man after God's heart. 
But God chose this name, Yeshua. Why? What did Joshua do? He led the Israelites out of the wilderness into the promised land, right? To give them rest. The very rest that the people of the time of Noah were looking for. The very rest that all of us are looking for when we are away from our Creator. And that is why it's Augustine who says that we are are all restless until we find rest in Him. The emptiness that we wrestle with to find meaning and purpose and significance, even when we have everything, you know, that makes us successful and happy, is the restlessness of the soul. It's the restlessness that can only be, um, that can find a solution only when we return to our Creator. And that is what Christmas is about. You know, today when you celebrate Christmas, what do you think of? Christmas tree, right? Santa Claus, presents. And these are wonderful, you know. I mean, every year I also have Christmas tree, except this year. Uh, because we just came back, my house is in a mess. So no Christmas tree, but I have nothing against Christmas tree. But what has it got to do with the gospel narratives? How do we end up celebrating Christmas like we do today? You know, Christmas is first celebrated on the 25th of December. Because 25th December was actually a festival to a pagan god, the sun god. And so the Romans, when they became Christian, decided to replace it with Christmas, the celebration of Christ. And I think it's a good thing. Okay? I'm not one of those who say you cannot celebrate Christmas. All right? And then in the 17th century, the Puritans came over to Amer- from UK to Amer- uh, England to America. And because at the time Christmas, Christ Mass, it was too much associated with the Pope. And so they banned the celebration of Christmas. And at the time, Christmas uh, was a time of wanton sex and drinking. They will break into the homes of wealthy people and demand the best gifts. And so at the time in New England, this was uh, banned, forbidden to celebrate Christmas. It was in this vacuum that Queen Victoria, because of her German ancestry, introduced the, the Christmas tree. And so Christmas became a, from a, a, a celebration that is celebrated openly as a society to individual, your own family, about your children and gifts. Now, it's wonderful. Christmas as a family time, a time for children exchanging gifts is wonderful. But remember, the emphasis of Christmas is not just children, but a Christ child. It's not just exchanging gifts, but God's gift to us, His Son. Six years later, Charles Dickens wrote his famous Christmas Carol, right? The, goal of, the ghost of Christmas past and ghost of Christmas future. I just watched it last week, you know. It's an interesting story. But Charles Dickens, what he did was to create a Christmas myth devoid of the gospel narratives. The focus was on the spirit of Christmas, not the spirit of Christ. It was on humanitarianism, being compassionate, being kind, but it's not about the humanity of Christ. And so one of the characters, the nephew of Ebenezer Scrooge, he said, I'm sure I've always thought of Christmas time as a good time, a kind, forgiving, charitable, pleasant time. And indeed, Christmas is like that. But this represented the thinking of the people at that time. They departed Christmas away from the divine to merely about being nice to each other. 
Finally joined Pintat, who is a philanthropist in New York City. At the time, New York was a colony of Holland. And so he wanted to introduce some of these Dutch virtues to New York. And so he pushed for St. Nicholas to be the patron saint of New York. And very soon, I think it was Nate Washington, or Washington um, who wrote this satire about St. Nicholas riding on the horse-driven sleigh, flying across the trees, sliding down the chimneys to give gifts. We're just one step away from Santa Claus. Now I share all this with you. Again, I have nothing against Santa Claus, okay? Um, except maybe taking pictures with them. Was this place, uh, some this ski village, and there's this Santa Claus and Mrs. Santa. They look so scary, you know. Everybody walk by, they wave, but nobody dares to take picture with them. But more than that, I'm not having Santa Claus, having the Christmas tree, having exchanging gifts, I think it's wonderful. But what is the foundation of all this? Why are we compassionate to each other? Why do we learn to forgive and why do we give gifts? It's because God has given us His Son. It's because God became man so that He may die on the cross, so that you and I may be reconciled to our Creator and we will find soul rest. Friends, what does Christmas mean for you? Perhaps we too are living lives of quiet desperation. We are afraid that people will truly know us and they will not love us. But Christmas, the gospel reminds us that that is not true. God knows us thoroughly and yet He loves us deeply. And the evidence is upon the cross. This is what Christmas is about. Question is, how do we respond to the message of Christmas? We look at Mary and the angel told her, while she didn't understand, he says, go and look for your relative Elizabeth, who also conceived a son at, at her old age. She was called barren and is now six months pregnant, for nothing will be impossible with God. Gabriel says, you need evidence, go look for your cousin Elizabeth. And Mary said, behold, the bond slave of the Lord, referring to herself, may it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Christmas is about the coming of grace. Grace has come. Our response is to be like Mary. While she's uncertain, while there's fear, she responded by faith. Friends, the gospel is not something we need 10, 20, 40 years ago when we came to Christ. It's something we need every day to realize we are sinners saved by grace. Faith is not something that we need when we accepted Christ. Faith is something we exercise every day facing this world of COVID-19, recession, uh, all the different challenges we face. But faith reminds us, tells us that Christ came and Christ will come again. And because Christ is coming again, our salvation is certain, our destiny is sure, and God promises that He will walk with us every day of our lives till the end. We respond by faith. Not just the circumstances that is around you, but by faith of what others cannot see. But we can because we are children of God. Another popular show during Christmas is Polar Express. Have you all watched it? Right, it's about this journey to the North Pole of this child to beat Santa Claus. But really, it's a story about his journey of unbelief to belief. 
On Christmas Eve, he was waiting for Santa Claus to come. He was skeptical. With each passing moment, his skepticism grew. And suddenly, he heard this thunderous roar. It was the Polar Express. Stopped in front of his front yard. And so he walked out, and the conductor jumped out and asked him, are you coming or not? You see, he had to make a decision to go on the train or not. And so he went up, but he was reluctant. And along the way, even though he was on this magical journey to the Arctic, he couldn't believe it. So he's, at one point, he slapped himself. Is this a dream? And the conductor said to him, he said, it's not important that you have all these questions. What's important is that you are on this train. Eventually, he went home. The conductor gave him the ticket. Do you remember what's written on the ticket? Belief. Belief. He went back to bed. The next morning was Christmas. He ran downstairs under the Christmas tree, took out his present, and it was a Christmas bell. When he rung it, there was a beautiful tune, but no one could hear it. His father couldn't hear it. His mother couldn't hear it. Only he heard it because those who hear the Christmas tune are those who hears by faith. By faith. Today we listen to the Christmas story. Friends, our response is to respond by faith. Then every day of the year, will be made different because of Christmas. So let us respond by faith, submit by faith, and let Christmas begin in your heart. Let me invite Anna up to sing. Let's listen to this song.